Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Thank you for checking out Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with co-hosts Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Mutual and Matthew Fairburn. He covers the bills for The Athletic. And we're going to talk about some NBA issues today, issues, updates, what's going on. Everybody hates the play-in game. With Tim Bontemps, he covers the NBA for ESPN, formerly of the Washington Post, formerly an intern at the Buffalo News. I was going to say, that's the important part. St. Bonaventure grad. Tim, thanks for doing this. Great to be here, man. Always happy to talk to you. Good. Well, what's uh, you know we're already in the midst of these play-in games. That's what everybody's talking about, for it, against it. Um, my personal opinion is I kind of like them, but I don't like that they the way they coupled the seedings. And I think it should be seven against ten, and or wait, what would it be? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, seven against ten, and and nine against eleven. No, wait, what am I? Eight against nine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Seven, seven against and eight. And nine. <laughs> Number, We're off to a roaring start. Numbers are not my friend. <laughs> Tim Bontemps is my friend. Uh, bail me out That's here, Tim. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, on this play in Michigas? Well, listen, I, I think the playing tournament has been a massive success, and certainly the NBA thinks it's a massive success. And you look at the way the end of the season played out, and for people like me who've been around the NBA now for a while. Usually we get to the end of the NCAA tournament right around April 1st, have the national championship game. Then there's about two weeks until the end of the regular season. And everybody kind of collectively says, can we just please fast forward to the end of the regular season and start the plows? Because generally the last 10 or 12 or 14 days of the regular season are just playing out the string. There's not really anything to battle for. Maybe there's a occasional fight for the eight seed, but, it's a lot of stuff about positioning and teams trying to tank for the lottery. And there, there's just not a lot of compelling reasons to pay attention. And now you look at what's happened over the past couple of weeks, you have the Lakers fighting to get out of the playing game, ultimately end up in it. You have the Celtics trying to get out of being in the playing game. They ultimately end up in it. You had all these games between these teams that were massively important from a seating perspective in the final 10 days of the regular season, right down to the final day of the regular season in some instances. So I think that's been a really big success. And while I understand what you're saying from an intellectual standpoint, where you just have like one playing game and you get in, I sort of like what the league did here because having the seven and eight seed play and then the loser play, the winner of the nine, 10 game, it gives those teams that traditionally would have been playoff teams, a bit of a leg up in this playing tournament. So you don't just have a team that wins 30 games and gets the 10th seed have like basically a one game shot to make the playoffs. Like essentially they have to win two road games to get in. Um, so if you're the seventh seed in the playoff in the playing tournament, yeah, you don't get in the playoffs like you normally do, but if you can't win one of two home games to get in the playoffs against teams that have been worse than you over the course of 82 games, you don't deserve to make the playoffs anyway. So I think, I think it was a pretty fair way to kind of adjudicate this new system. And ultimately, again, the NBA struggles at times to get people reasons to pay attention late in the regular season in particular. And I think anything that, causes people to have to tune in and watch as a win. So I think this has been really good for the league. And whether people like it or not, I think this is definitely here to stay because the league is thrilled with what it's done so far. How excited do you think the league is and people around the league are to have a game like this tonight? Uh, marquee teams, two of the most you know, marquee players in the league playing in a game with these type of stakes. Well, listen, it, like I just said, if there was any doubt 
that the play-in tournament was going to stick around after this year. The fact that Lakers-Warriors is happening in the first year of it with LeBron James going up against Stephen Curry, probably the two most popular players in the entire league at this point. Maybe Kevin Durant is in there too, but those, those are probably the two biggest draws in the league. Um, that just cements that this is a great thing for the league and they're going to want this to stick around. I mean, and it, you know, and there's been a lot of talk over the past year about ratings and where ratings at and are people watching and, you know, with the pandemic, everything else that's gone on, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in what the number is on this game tonight. Obviously it's a 10 o'clock tip. It's a little difficult from a ratings perspective, but having two mega teams like this playing in a, you know, and not quite an elimination game, but certainly a, you know, a, a, a win and go into the playoff game like this. I think there's certainly a lot of excitement about that kind of a game taking place. And I think there's a lot of hope on all sides that it draws a big number and, um, you know, gives, gives this thing some momentum going forward and gives the league some excitement and some momentum going into the playoffs. Okay. But it's a Wednesday night. It is a blockbuster matchup. It's a Wednesday night, West coast start. Yep. That's out of the NBA's control. Really? I mean, yep. got to start when it starts, but the count the, the other side of this though is yeah. Great for tonight, but you are eliminating one of the best watched franchises in the entire NBA from the tournament essentially for the, for the, or to go deep and do all these things. So well, yeah, maybe. it's great for this one game. And maybe not. Well, it's right. not an elimination game. The team that loses yeah. tonight will play Friday. Listen, I, I will tell putting you. It at risk. The, well, listen, the NBA, the NBA would love for the Lakers and Warriors to both make the playoffs. And I, I can promise you, even though Olympic tower would never admit it, whoever loses this game, they're going to be crossing their fingers and hoping they beat Memphis or San Antonio on Friday. And that's no disrespect to the Grizzlies, no disrespect to the Spurs. But to your point, Tim, like these are two of the marquee teams in the league and two of the marquee players in the league. They want them in the playoffs. The league was certainly hoping the Celtics would get into the playoffs, right? They don't want the Charlotte Hornets in the playoffs over the Celtics. Same reason why they want the Bulls and the Knicks and these other teams to be good. You know, the NBA can thrive when those teams are bad, but it's a lot easier when your marquee teams are really, really good. So, yeah. They definitely want these teams to get in the playoffs. But again, I, I think if you'd have had the last 10 days or two weeks or three weeks where the game has meant nothing at all and it was just a grind into the playoffs, I think the league would take the trade off of having these two teams in this thing and having a chance to play their way in with that excitement rather than just everybody kind of blandly waiting for the regular season to end to see how things would shake out. Which of these play in teams do you think has? a legitimate chance to be a live dog once the, once the playoffs actually start. The Lakers matter, the obvious one, right? I mean, they wouldn't probably be in this. I mean, they wouldn't be in this game if LeBron hadn't missed a big chunk of games. And if Anthony Davis hadn't missed a big chunk of games. So I think they're the obvious team that if they're healthy and ready to go and we'll see, um, we'll see what happens uh, with the Lakers. LeBron tweaked his ankle again Sunday. I mean, he may not be hundred percent. Anthony Davis complained about his groin. But if they're healthy, they, they, they're a legitimate shot to, to win it all, even though it's going to be a difficult run for them. And beyond that, um, the team that I'm focused on is Golden State because going up against Utah, or in particular, if they can win this game tonight, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but they, if they can beat the Lakers and play Phoenix in the first round, they're going to have a chance, I think, against Phoenix because Stephen Curry is playing as well as he ever has ever had, and he can score 45 a game in a series. And between him and Draymond Green and – with James Wiseman, the rookie center out, they've frankly been better because he just was not a very effective NBA player at this point. I think they've got a chance to make it a pretty difficult series too. So uh, if they both get in, I think the Jazz and Suns are going to have their hands full. Um, the Celtics, I don't think will have much of a fight against the, the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn is just too much firepower, especially with Jalen Brown out. And, you know, whether Washington or Indiana wins this game Thursday, this 8-9 game, I, I don't think the Philadelphia 76ers are going to have much trouble with them either. Quick turnaround on this podcast, Tim Bontemps, because people well, need more analysis. This I is, like it. We are previewing tonight's games as part of this podcast. Not Excellent. just what is happening with these playoff games, but uh, a look at uh, this the actual the actual games. You know, what really sucks for us here on the East Coast is, especially at a place like Elmo's, <laughs> is these games start at 10 – and the bars close at 12 here. So we can't go out to watch the game tonight. It, <laughs> yeah. It's infringing on our ability to be social sports fans. I'm just glad we're getting to the point where people can go back to bars and watch games. 
honestly. It's a it's a nice problem to be uh, it's a nice problem to be thinking about that the bar closes at twelve instead of uh, not even having the option. It's hopefully soon we'll be back to the point where everything is normal again. But I'll take I'll take that over what we've had for a long time. Yeah, I, well, I think it's in fact it starts today in the state of New York. Uh, you you can with proof of vaccination, you don't have to wear your mask at a bar uh, anymore. So things are really loosening up. Um, there is where, an early game you? tonight. I don't, nobody seems all that interested in watching that. Maybe the folks at ESPN don't want to hear that, but Spurs Memphis play before the Lakers and Warriors. Are you saying Jonah that you want to get together and watch uh, Spurs? uh, No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. But (laughs) if anybody is looking to go spread their naked face around at a bar tonight while basketball is on the television, that might be your best bet. Okay. I may do that. It will Uh, be a fun game too. John Moran is one of the most exciting young players in the league. But for the record, Tim, because I I lose track of you, you've bounced around a little bit. Where are you living right now? You're in Boston. Okay. I'm in Boston. Yep. What's it like in Massachusetts with the bar restrictions? Uh, the governor announced uh, Monday or yesterday, I think Monday, that all restrictions are being lifted on May 29th. So there will no longer be any COVID restrictions of any kind here uh, next week. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, you know, we'll see. What are you dealing that- with until then? Uh, probably the same as it is in Buffalo, I would think. I mean, there's, you know, they've already peeled back a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, people can go out to eat now and do stuff. Um, there's some mask wearing still. Um, you know, I wear my mask when I go to stores and stuff. But, I mean, it's – everything here has sort of been reeling back for a while. The vaccination rates are good. So, um, you know, it's been it's been progressing. And like you said, we're, we're inching closer to normal. It's not quite as fast as everybody would like, but – We'll get there soon enough. When's last call? I honestly don't know. I haven't been to I haven't been to a bar in a long time. It was pretty uh, early before. Boy. It was like it used to be one a.m. Yeah, it depends on this. it depends so. on where you go here. It, it was pretty early. Some places would stay open later, but generally it's pretty early. I would I would suspect that's either gotten earlier or stayed the same. But I that is one thing I haven't done. I haven't gone to a bar since I was in the bubble in Orlando, which was quite oh. a while ago. I, I pictured you hanging out at the 99 and been having a good time. <laughs> like I've been, I've been trying to stay COVID conscious, so I haven't been doing much of that, but Legal now I'm vaccinated. So I'm looking, looking forward to getting back into stuff again soon. All right. Back to these games. I'm sorry. Sorry for the diversion. Um, no, it's all but, good. Um, this is what we do here. We, I need to know what's going on with, like I, like I said, man, I'm happy to be talking about the idea. We're getting closer to normal. Genuinely. It's a very, it's a very good feeling to know that, things are starting to look up on that front. It's been a long year. Let's take a look at this uh, Spurs Grizzlies game Um, for the casual basketball fan who maybe is just getting into it because they wait for the playoffs and they want a little drama. Uh, I guess, you know, the Spurs, you know, Tim Duncan just got into the hall of fame, you know? So, uh, you know, it's been that long since he's been, these aren't your, your grandfather's Spurs. No, they're not. Uh, but anyway, your, your take on tonight's game. Watch John Moran, the star second-year guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. That's what you should do. Turn on the game, watch John Moran. He's one of the most exciting players in the league. He plays a lot like Russell Westbrook. He's got the same kind of ferocity as him. He, he's smaller than Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook's built like a linebacker. Um, John Moran's more built like a defensive back. But he is a phenomenal player to watch. He plays with a swagger and an edge that's really, really compelling. Grizzlies are a fun, interesting team. Um, you know, uh, that's who I would say to watch. Spurs have had a really nice season. They've got a bunch of good young players. They have an interesting team. But John Morant, you know, childhood friends with Zion Williamson, came in the draft last year with him as the second overall pick to Memphis. And he's the kind of guy that if he was playing in New York or Chicago or some bigger market, everybody in the country would know who this guy is. And because he plays in Memphis, he's a little under the radar. But like I said, he's, he's one of my single favorite players to watch in the league. I think he's going to be a star for a long time. And, um, you know, if you're just tuning in, you haven't really watched much NBA basketball, just watch number 12. You'll be, you'll, you'll be entertained. Is Memphis a little better than the record because Ja was hurt and Jaron Jackson has been hurt all year and now he's back playing? Yeah, I think so, Jonah. They're, they're an interesting team. And, and I think if they can win this game today, I do think they've got a chance to – 
um, to beat either the Lakers or the Warriors on Friday. I would, I would give either of those teams a pretty significant edge. We just saw Golden State essentially won a playing game for this eighth seed on Sunday. They hosted Memphis in the final game of the season to beat them to get the eighth seed and play the Lakers tonight. Um, but yeah, Memphis is, Memphis is a good young team. They've got Taylor Jenkins who came from Milwaukee under Mike Budenholzer in his second season. It's done a really good job. Ja is an emerging star. You mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. He was out with a meniscus injury for basically all the entire season. He came back within the last two or three weeks and has played some, um, but they've, you know, Dylan Brooks is going to be on the Canadian national team this summer. He's had a nice season. Grayson Allen from Duke has, be, has become a guy that has emerged for them and uh, you know, has played some minutes for them this season. So They've got a pretty interesting group, and they, I think, do have a chance to make some noise uh, in this playing tournament if they can if they can get by the Spurs. The Spurs are kind of a weird team. They they could score ninety five points and lose to a bad team. And last week they beat Milwaukee and scored one hundred and forty five points and essentially kept Milwaukee from getting the second seed in the East. So really, just depends on you know day to day what you're going to get um, from San Antonio. And like I said, they could they could come out and shoot the lights out tonight and win, or they could go five for 25 from three and lose by 20. It's, it's hard to know what they're going to look like. Tim, since you're based in Boston, I'll, I'll use that as my end to ask about the Celtics. Uh, I, I know you're probably like most people, you know, don't think they have too much of a chance against Brooklyn, but I'm curious what your perspective has been on the big picture in Boston with the Celtics, because for so many years, it seemed like with all the assets they had, the young players, Brad Stevens, it was, you know, almost assumed that they would be contending for championships every year. Seems like they've hit a bit of a rut. What, what do you think about short term, what, what it looks like for them in the playoffs, and then just the big picture of what the franchise is facing going forward? Well, short term, they're going to get drilled by the Nets. Uh, I think that's pretty safe to say. Barring, now look, Brooklyn's had a ton of injury issues. They could they could have James Harden and or Kyrie Irving and or Kevin Durant get hurt, and they could be in trouble, right? Like that's an, a constant concern with this Nets team. But if they're healthy – they're going to beat the Celtics. Uh, that's really, there's really not much of a question about that, especially like I said before with Jalen Brown out, one of Boston's best players, like they had a puncher's chance of making this a six game series. I think if he's healthy, because they're one of the few teams that can kind of match Brooklyn's perimeter talent, or at least come close to it without him though. I just, I just think they're kind of bringing in a knife to a gunfight ultimately. But in terms of the long-term vision, like the, the funny thing about this season, Matt is like, People ask me all season long, what's wrong with the Celtics? Why aren't the Celtics good? Part of that's because they've made the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four years, right? The only teams that have made the Conference Finals three of the last four years are the Warriors, the Celtics, and LeBron. So that's pretty good company to be in if you're looking at the wider NBA. So it's clearly a team that is one of the elite teams in the league. They have one of the elite coaches in Brad Stevens, and they have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two of the best young wing players in the league who are two-way players, right? Every team in the NBA – is trying to find elite two-way wing players. They have that. So they've got the important stuff that you're really looking for to be a championship team. But ultimately, the Celtics lost Gordon Hayward this offseason, who's an all-star level player, and they replaced him with Aaron Neesmith, who is a rookie who for most of the year was not very good, frankly, right? So like, if you take a guy that's that good off your team and you replace him with a guy that, through no fault of his own, is just not nearly the same level player, you're going to pretty naturally take a step down. Right. And so last year they were the third or fourth best team in the East for much of the regular season, maybe second. And this year you add you basically the Nets just pop back up to being really good because they get Katie and Kyrie and James Harden on their team. So they move ahead of them. Philly gets better. They move ahead of them. Milwaukee moves ahead of them. And after that, you know, Miami beat them last year in the playoffs with Gordon Hayward. So Miami's already ahead of them. Right. So there's four teams who are better than them. That puts you as a team that loses in the first round right there. You know, so it's been kind of a, a weird season for the Celtics and that I think their past success has led to them having a little bit higher expectations than they should have. And at the same time, I think they've done a very bad job on the margins with their roster, filling out the talent base around those star level players so that this year when they've had kind of a constant rotation of injuries and COVID absences, the lack of depth on the back end of their roster has really hampered them from being able to be better than they should have been. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. They have some real questions to answer this summer. Um, you know, they could look to maybe trade Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart. They're, you know, one of the best defensive guards in the league only has one year left on his contract. If they can't extend him, they might have to trade him. They have to try to re-sign Evan Fournier, who they traded for in the middle of the season is a really good player and replaces some of the stuff Hayward lost. So 
they have some questions to answer that I, I think are going to be really interesting and will determine where they go. But again, like I said, for everybody, everybody keeps asking me like, why is this guy falling in Boston? Are they going to have to blow this up? Is his team over? And at the end of the day, they have two guys under 25 who are damn good players and they have a really good coach. So I think in the long run, the Celtics are going to be just fine. With the Celtics playing the Nets, I want to ask you about somebody that I think is the most fascinating person in sports right now. And you've covered him for a few years, I think, in different iterations, different teams. Um, but Kyrie Irving, he's always got something interesting to say. And I think sometimes has a lot of things to say that, that I find like we need to hear. But sometimes it has nothing to do with the basketball game and is a little bit out there. You know, what's it been like covering him this year and last year as he sort of developed this persona? And what, what is it in general like covering somebody like him where you have no idea what he's going to say on any given day? It, it's definitely an interesting experience to cover Kyrie because, like you said, you don't really know what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis. But but he he is a terrific player um, when he when he's locked in. And, and I think he's really in the right situation with this Nets team. Like, you go back to the Cavs teams he was on with LeBron. Kyrie's not a point guard. He's not going to really guard people. But what he is going to do is score. And he's going to he, – he can score in pressure situations, and he can score on anybody and in any situation. He can get to the rim whenever he wants. He's one of the best shooters in the league. He's got phenomenal handles. He can get wherever he wants on the court. But if you have him as the guy who's trying to run your offense and set your team up, you're probably going to have a ceiling on your team. You saw that here in Boston, right? They just That team was not good enough with Kyrie at the controls. If you have James Harden at the controls and you have Kevin Durant next to him and Kyrie only has to go out there and fill it up, that's exactly what you want. And it's why this team is so devastating when they get going, when even it's just a couple of these guys out there. Um, but yeah, certainly it's, it's always an adventure covering him. You're not sure quite what he's going to say, but you know, at the end of the day, what matters is what happens on the court. And this year, this Nets team, if they could stay healthy, they've got a ton of talent and they've got every, every chance to, to win a title this year. And, and, uh, the fact that they would win a title before the Celtics did after that trade, they made the Garnet and Pierce trade a few years ago would certainly be a bit of a surprise, but you know, they've done a nice job turning this thing around and they're a very compelling team for a lot of reasons. In addition to the Nets, what would be a team or two that you think is a year or two away that is just on the verge? Maybe we don't see it come to fruition uh, this postseason, but is there is there a team that you see on the make that, that gets you excited? I mean, there's a few. Um, I mean, we're in kind of an interesting situation this year, Tim, because I think there's seven teams that can actually win the championship, which is a way higher number than normal. Typically in the NBA, there's maybe through two or three teams you go into the playoffs and can have a real shot and everybody else is kind of playing for, you know, fourth or fifth place or beyond. Um, but Milwaukee, Philly and Brooklyn in the East, I think can all win it. And I think both LA teams, Utah and Phoenix can all win it. Um, and I think some of those teams are going to be around for a while. Phoenix is a young team. They should be around for a while. Um, the Denver Nuggets, I thought were maybe going to be the best team in the league going into the playoffs before Jamal Murray tore his ACL, really unfortunate injury for a guy who's also going to be a star for the Canadian national team this summer. Um, so I don't think now they're quite in that mix. Um, but trying to spin ahead and look at teams that could be good down the road. I mean, Luka Doncic is probably going to be the best player in the league pretty soon. Um, he's in his third season in Dallas. He's had a remarkable start to his career. He's lived up to every bit of expectation I had for him after having one of the best careers, um, in the history of the basketball, frankly, coming out of Europe at that young of an age to have already won a Euro basket championship. To have already won a Euro league title with Real Madrid. Um, he had done stuff. Nobody, no, no teenager had ever done in basketball history before coming to the, to coming to the United States and playing in the NBA. And he's lived up to that. And then some with the Mavericks. So, they're going to be really good. I think the Hawks have a chance to be really good going forward. Trey Young is a really fascinating player. I'm really interested to see what he looks like in the playoffs. A lot of people around the league have wondered if Trey's style will translate to the playoffs. He's a really small guy. He kind of relies on drawing fouls, um, which isn't the easiest thing to do in a playoff setting. The whistle gets tighter then. Um, but I'm curious to see how he looks. And they have a bunch of young guys around him that are growing and getting better. And I think they've got a chance to be good. And they don't, it's kind of a weird answer to your question because they don't necessarily have the team now. But the New York Knicks finally had a good season this year, and they did it in a way that's reminiscent of what the Nets did a few years ago before they got Kyrie Irving and, J- and Kevin Durant and James Harden to come there, and that they have a coach 
that has instilled some belief and passion in this team and they play hard defensively and they play together and they're really fun to watch and they're building something. And the New York Knicks are the sleeping giant in American professional sports. They are the biggest team in New York by a significant amount. And if they ever have a chance to be a consistent winning team, they will be the biggest team in the city by country miles. And so they're, they're sitting out there where if some star player looks at this and says, I want to go play for the Knicks and be the guy in New York, they've got a chance to really leap up into the stratosphere. But right now, they don't really have that guy. Like Julius Randle's had a great year. RJ Barrett's gotten better. But they don't have the guy in their team now where you say that's the guy that's going to lead them to the promised land. So I think the future could be bright there for the first time in a long time, but they have to find a way to get that player to come there. And, you know, there isn't an immediate guy on the horizon that you look at and say this is the guy that that's going to be. No, are you – if you oh, look wait, back did, a no, year no, with the Knicks – Oh, oh no, go I, all right. You're right. Well, I, have, I have a follow-up on the Knicks. Yeah, I wanted sure. to stay on the Knicks too. Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Well, my question with the Knicks is that, you know, how surprised are you with this turnaround and how quickly and, and what happened within the last year? And ask it in the context of I think going back a year ago, you could make a lot of comparisons between the Knicks franchise and the way it's gone with the Buffalo Sabres. And now a year later, you can't make too many of those comparisons, but maybe <laughs> there's a lesson there for the Sabres if you get the right management and right coach you can turn it around without blowing everything up i mean the sabers i it's just don't even know what to do i don't even know what to do with the sabers at this point i, I feel it, it i can't believe they've they've been such a train wreck for such a long time it's kind of incredible but um look i, I am stunned by the success the knicks have had no question and i think it i i mean tim especially is much more of an expert on hockey than me but in basketball, you can turn things around pretty quick if you have one or two guys. And Tom Thibodeau has a track record of going to places and lifting up the talent he's got at his disposal. Now, there are some downsides to Tibbs long-term. We've seen some players have injury issues down the road. He plays guys heavy minutes. But he's going to instill guy in his guys a discipline and a uh, drive to want to be successful on the court. He's done that repeatedly. Minnesota, the Minnesota Timberwolves have made the playoffs once in the past 18 years. It was when Tom Thibodeau was coaching their team. The Chicago Bulls, you know, even after Derrick Rose's injury, that team was constantly playing above its talent level because he lifted up a bunch of, you know, average players to levels they hadn't played otherwise and didn't play at before he was with them or after he was with them. And you sort of seen that this year with the Knicks. You know, Julius Randle, working with my old college friend, Tyler Ralph, um, in the off-seasons, um, He's become an all-NBA player. It's been fantastic this year. Now, some of that's on some unsustainable shooting luck. He's taken some incredibly difficult shots. He's really the only guy in their team driving their offense. Some of that will come back down to earth. But some of these improvements are going to stay, and he deserves a ton of credit for that. And R.J. Barrett also, a guy that did not make either of my all-rookie team ballots last year. And if you're not in the top 10 in, on all-rookie teams after your, after your rookie year as a third pick, that's a disappointment because it's hard to fill out the second – all rookie team, frankly, every year. Um, but RJ's taken a massive step forward. He's been really, really good this year. So they they have made big strides across the board. I think Tibbs deserves a ton of credit for that. I think RJ, the work he's put in on his shot, has been a big part of that. Julius Randle's work has been a big part of that. But, you know, to spin it forward from here, like I said, they still have to get their talent level up another level. Like, I know they're the fourth seed in the East. They're not the fourth best team in the East. Like, they're – they're a team that probably should be somewhere down in the seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range. And in the NBA, like, even if you have all this other stuff in place, you can't win without talent. Like you can get to a certain point, but you can't get beyond it. There's no scheming it up. Um, and so that, that to me is the challenge for the Knicks going forward is how do we get, how did the Knicks get their talent level from being a good story and a try hard team that's in the middle of the pack in the East to being a team that you come in the season, you say, all right, the Knicks have a legitimate chance to be a team that gets to the conference finals or beyond. Cause right now I just don't think they're there. And I don't even know if they're that close to being there. They're an excellent defensive team, which I think gives them a high floor, but maybe a lower yes, ceiling. That's a hundred percent true too. Right. Especially in this, this version of the NBA this year where nobody's playing defense at all, the Knicks and the Lakers too, to their credit, like the reason the Lakers are good, like, obviously, the reason they're good is LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But even when those guys were hurt, the Lakers guarded people. Like, the Lakers don't have a very good shooting team. They have a lot of flaws on their roster. But they have LeBron and AD, and they 
they guard like hell on defense. And if you, if you guard in the NBA, you give yourself a chance automatically. Um, and, and to your point that that's what Tibbs has always done with his teams. And it's what he's done with the Knicks. And it's why, you know, they've got home court advantage and what should be really interesting first round series with Atlanta. I wanted to have you elaborate a little bit on what you mentioned uh, uh, earlier regarding the Knicks being the, the sleeping giant. And that obviously makes sense. I get that. But you said they're the biggest team in New York. And the reason I miles you, okay. So can you break that down, that dynamic down for me? Uh, you used to work there, formerly of the New York Post, uh, obviously covering the NBA, so you know the Knicks. But me, as somebody who's never lived in New York City and experienced that vibe, uh, you know, I always thought Yankees, right? Or maybe even the New York Giants. So how? what's this Knicks? I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple. For a century, there's been multiple baseball teams in New York. For... 60, 70 years, there's been multiple football teams in New York, right? The Rangers are obviously the dominant hockey presence, no disrespect to the Islanders or the Devils, but it's also hockey. And as we all know, like hockey fan bases are incredibly passionate and frankly, pretty small, right? right? The Knicks have been the only team in New York for 80 years. And yeah, the Nets were in New Jersey and you know, bouncing around there and now they're in Brooklyn, but nobody in New York cares about the Nets at all. Um, I used to cover the Nets. I, I know the page view numbers. People watch them a little bit. They pay attention a little bit. They've obviously been more interesting this year now that they have Katie and Kyrie and James Harden, but they don't rate like the Knicks. It's basically the Lakers and Clippers, East, East version of that. And the Knicks, so everybody in the tri-state area who likes basketball for the past 70 years is a Knicks fan whether you're in Connecticut, whether you're on Long Island, whether you're in New York, whether you're in New Jersey, there's been no competition for their fandom. And so because of that, you have all these people who are, you know, Yankees fans or Mets fans or Jets fans or Giants fans. They're all Knicks fans, everybody. And like the one year the Knicks were good when I was in New York, the, the year when Carmelo Anthony was there, 2012-13, the first year the Nets were in Brooklyn. Um, those teams were both good. The Knicks won the division. They had the second seed. They ended up losing to Indiana uh, in the conference semifinals. They, the, the city was on fire with that Knicks team because everybody there is desperate for the Knicks to be good. And, like, that's, that's what I say about them being a sleeping giant. They've been so bad for so long that people don't realize and don't remember how dominant a force they are. Like, back in the 90s when the Knicks were good, the Knicks dominate the, the scene when they're good. They're the biggest team by, by so far. And, and you're, to be clear, you're not the only person who I've said that to and has been surprised. Like, people react that like really? It makes total They're... sense when you mention the breakdown of the different teams. But when, the, when you said it, I was like, what? Well, and it's because they've been so bad for so long, right? They just, they have not been a factor for essentially 20 years. I mean, since the Knicks made the finals in 99 and just after that, you know, they played Toronto, I think the year or the year after that, and they, they, they were good up until the early 2000s. And then everything fell apart. And other than a couple mini brief resurgences since then, they've been awful. And that's, that's what I mean. Like if, if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden were on the Knicks, it would be like the Heatles again. Like it would be the biggest story Bigger. going. I, I wouldn't be bigger because LeBron is bigger than everything, but it, but it would be a enorm like it would be a truly gigantic story. And while the nets are a big story nationally and people talk about the nets, like if you look at the back pages in New York over the past few days, going into the end of the regular season, it's all about the Knicks. It's all about the Knicks trying to get the fourth seed. It's all about the Knicks going into the playoffs. The, the Knicks drive everything there. So how would you say they compare sports wise, meaning you combine the forces of baseball and football. How, what's, what's obviously hockey. We'll throw that out, but how, how would you, how do you think New York people from the New York metropolitan area? Um, what, what, where, where's their passion level for for each of those? Two I sports? would say it's, it's probably baseball, football, basketball, but I would say it's like baseball, football, basketball. Like I think they're all basically the same and it sort of comes down to who's good at the time. Right. Like if one of the baseball teams is really good, people, people really get into it sort of the same with football. 
And the Knicks have just kind of been sitting there um, just waiting to be good. But even when the Knicks stink, they're still a hugely important team. And like people are going to the games, like they've been selling out. I mean, obviously they've been all sell the garden for the past year, but they've sold out the garden for years and years when they've been awful. I mean, everyone there is just desperately clinging to every possible strand of, oh man, this is finally the time when the Knicks are going to be good. And yeah, I mean, it just, people, I think whenever, whenever it does eventually happen that the Knicks are really good, I think people will be truly stunned at how big of a deal it is. And maybe it's the kind of thing that won't necessarily register that way outside of New York, because you have to kind of be in the market to see it. But like you said, I haven't worked there for almost a decade, haven't lived there. My family's from down there. Um, If the Knicks, if the Knicks ever do figure it out and they get back to even where they were in the nineties and they're consistently a team that contends to get to the finals, it would just be a gigantic thing. And when, like I said earlier, when we talked about the ratings, like it would help the ratings for the NBA quite a bit. If the New York Knicks are one of the five or six best teams in the league and were a team that people needed to tune in to watch instead of one, they just got forced to see sometimes and they didn't want to. Um, that would, that would go a long way, I think, to solving the, uh, the quote unquote ratings problem that the league has. And another thing with the Knicks is that it, it had seemed in recent years like ownership couldn't get out of the way. James Dolan, players didn't want to play there, the star players. And it appears maybe that they're past that, that that reputation has been shaken with the success they've had and him being a little bit detached from the team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little early to say that, Jonah, right? I mean, this, is, this isn't too dissimilar from that year with Carmelo in 2013 when they were good briefly and it looked like they'd be good and then everything went to hell right after that and – you know, Carmelo got hurt. They ended up getting Chris S. Porzingis in the lottery. Looked like that was going to be good. Then that didn't work. So it's constantly sort of a Lucy and the Charlie Brown and the football thing with the Knicks and their fans, right? It's like, oh, this is the time. And then the football gets yanked out, fall down, and then you start again. Um, but but there is there is a lot of reasons for optimism. And I do think, you know, this is the thing they've always needed to do is to sort of follow the Nets blueprint from a few years ago. And like the, the Knicks biggest problem over the past two decades is they've constantly tried to get a sugar rush fix to their problems and just go grab the next shiniest object they could find and say, oh man, this is what's going to fix it right here. And instead of building something sustainable. And to your point, the reason I think Knicks fans should be optimistic about this team is that they're building something right now that has the chance to be sustainable for the first time in a long time. And that's why I think, there should be some optimism that, Hey, maybe this is different. Maybe this team can be good for a while because the stuff they're doing right now, building a culture, playing defense, developing young players, all the stuff they're doing is the stuff you have to do to put yourself in a position to either trade for or attract a star player to come in free agency. So yeah, I, I, def, I definitely think there's reasons to be genuinely optimistic as a Knicks fan for the first time in a long time. But to your point, this is not the first time we've been down this road. And so I'm not ready to declare victory until we see the Knicks continue to build on this and take more steps in that direction going forward. You wrote a story this afternoon about Masai Ujiri and his role as uh, president of basketball operations with the Toronto Raptors. I found it interesting because uh, Masai seemed a bit noncommittal, maybe not surprising, but it's as if he's a, as he wants to see how things are going to go, uh, what the plan is uh, in, in talking about uh, Kyle Lowry, their big free agent. Uh, I want to use the quote. Uh, it says, uh, it depends on what we were doing. Or, I'm sorry. It, it depends on what we are doing regarding uh, uh, Kyle Lowry. Um, shouldn't he know what they're doing? He is the president of basketball operations. Uh, is he playing poker here? Uh, what, what's, what do you, what do you make of the Toronto Raptors and, uh, and Masai Ujiri's be playing at Koi today at his uh, news conference? Well, Masai has always been good at playing at Koi in general. Um, and I think to your point about Kyle, I mean, look, Kyle's a free agent, right? He could leave. So part of that, I think, is like, does Kyle want to be there? That's a good question. Like, are the Raptors going to be willing to pay Kyle what it takes to be there? That's a good question. Are the Raptors committed to trying to still be really good and trying to be as good as possible going forward? Or are they going to pivot a bit and try to rebuild with this team um, after what's obviously been easily the best run of success in the history of the franchise? That's a good question, right? 
And obviously the question that hangs over all those questions is what is beside you, Jerry going to do now that his contract is up. And the interesting thing about that press conference today was he made it pretty clear that he's going to have some pretty specific asks for ownership going forward. And that those asks are going to determine whether he wants to still be in Toronto or not. Now, I, it's a fair question to ask, what are the asks that Masai has? And he got asked that directly. He didn't really say, um, try again, sort of understand that you're not going to like openly say out in the public, I want A, B, C, and D. But this whole situation has now dragged on for almost a year. Masai said back before the season, I think, that he was going to get Nick Nurse's contract, the coach, the coach Nick Nurse's contract done first, and general manager Bobby Webster's contract done first, and then he'd get his done. Well, they both have been extended. And then he said, I'm going to wait till after the season. And then he said, today, it was my decision to wait until the end of the season to see what happens. So this has been one of the biggest questions hanging over the NBA really for the last year, because guys as talented as Masai do not hit the just general free agency very often. Like generally good executives like that are good coaches. They get an extension if they're coming up on their contract, if they want to stay and if the team wants them to stay. And every indication is that Toronto would love to have Masai stay for as long as he wants. So it sort of comes back to, well, what does Masai Ujiri want? And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there because it's obviously been a chaotic last 12 or 13 months for Toronto, even more than any other team that played this season in Tampa, Florida. Masai said he wasn't sure if the team will be able to play in Toronto next season. Obviously, as you guys know, the Blue Jays are playing in Florida. Um, the NHL's had – uh, Canadian teams playing against each other all season, which, you know, is one of these things that like in everything else in COVID, we're not really talking about it, but it's insane that the Blue Jays are playing in Florida. It's insane. The Raptors played a whole season in Florida and it's insane that six of the 30 NHL teams or however many are just are playing themselves all season. They're going to get introduced in the playoffs, like the conference finals. I think this is a wild story, right? Um, so like it has been a really crazy year for them. And the Raptors also had a really difficult year in that they, they got off to a terrible start. They lost a bunch of close games. They played, you know, should have been better than they were. Got off to a two and eight start. Get all the way back to 17 and 17 and look like they're primed to be the top four team in the East I expected them to be. And then had literally their entire coaching staff get COVID and then half their team get COVID, including three or four starters. And just completely got decimated. And at that point, they basically pulled the plug and tanked the rest of the season. Try to get the best draft pick they could. Um, so there's a ton of questions about this team. It's been a remarkable run of success they've had. And, you know, it all, it all begins with the side because, you know, Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the league. Bobby Webster is one of the best young executives in the league, but Masai has become sort of the face of the Raptors franchise in a lot of ways. And if he decides to leave this off season and either go do something outside of basketball, which he has a lot of other interests or go work for some other team, I think it's going to be a real blow to them going forward because, you know, this is a guy that has built the Raptors into a championship winning team. He made the Kawhi Leonard trade. He got guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry to re-sign in Toronto. That was always the thing, right? These players are going to come to Toronto and they're going to leave. They're never going to stay. The Raptors have sort of gotten past that hurdle. Um, but if he leaves, I think a lot of that stuff kind of goes back to square one and they have to start again. So, um, you know, it was really interesting listening to him today and it's going to be really interesting to see what he decides to ultimately do. Yeah. Masai Ujiri is almost, he, he's, bigger than president of basketball operations. He's, he's an ambassador yeah. uh, for the program almost in, in the 100%. way he's able to, to get guys to buy in, uh, not just with the, the organization, but with the city. And, and of course, everything was different this year, like you mentioned with Tampa. And they really were playing at a, a serious disadvantage that uh, none of the other teams had to deal with. Um, uh, before we let you go, uh, your thoughts on St. Bonaventure and their uh, portal doings. Uh, how have they, um, how do you think they've made out? I think we've done really well. Um, the one team I'll say we about St. Bonaventure. Uh, I think we've done really well. Obviously last year was a fantastic season, making the NCAA tournament, um, had a tough game against LSU in the first round, but um, couldn't, have, couldn't have been more thrilled as a fan with how the season went. Um, it's a great group of guys. They're all back again. Um, could be back for a couple of years potentially, but all back again this year. And the biggest issue with Bonaventure last season was there just wasn't any depth on the roster. And if any of the five starters couldn't play or got in foul trouble or something, um, we just immediately were in a lot of trouble. And you saw that in that 
uh, LSU game where we needed some punch and just couldn't get it from anybody off the bench. And so adding a big time three point shooter um, out of, out of the Juco ranks was, I thought the number one priority for them. They did that. They get another big, they get a point guard from Wake Forest. Um, they added a young, interesting big from Montreal or a wing player from Montreal. So I'm very excited. I think there's some more depth. Uh, Mark Schmidt's a fantastic coach. He does not tend to like to play more than six guys. Uh, I will be curious if he's willing to actually play more than six guys. I think to get into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, you kind of have to play eight or nine guys and have eight or nine guys you can play. Um, in the event you do have injuries or foul trouble or just need a change or something. Um, so I think we'll need to see a little bit more of that this season from, from Bonaventure, but look, it's considering where the front, the, the program was when I left school in 2007, coming off the four years with Anthony Solomon after the, um, the Jamil Terrell scandal and the team had had the four worst years in the history of the school consecutively. Um, there were people calling for the program to go down to D2 or D3 and like go out of division one and to go from that to where we've been under Mark Schmidt to make the tournament several times to be a consistent 20 win team would have been a 21 team. I think for the ninth or 10th year in a row this year, if it hadn't been for half the games getting canceled um, it's just a really incredible achievement. And, you know, I'm just very happy that, uh, you know, get to turn on a lot of Bonaventure games and watch a lot of wins and be on text chains with fellow alums talking about, you know, trying to go to the tournament and go to the sweet 16. And it's just a, just a really been a really fun ride the last few years for sure yeah i'm, I'm getting probably relieved that mark schmidt did not take off because that seems to be a, a yearly story that and, yeah. and with with boston college's job being open this past yeah uh, i felt i felt bad for i felt bad for mark and that i would have loved for him uh, i you know as somebody who loves my school i i can only imagine you know, from talking to Mark some, I can only imagine what it would have meant to him to get the chance to coach his alma mater. And I would have been thrilled for him if he got the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, I, if, if Mark left, I would like to think we could go find another good college basketball coach. Um, but that's not to, that's not to belittle the job he's done. He's done an unbelievable job. I mean, he took, I mean, when he got hired, like I said, it was my senior year of college. And when, when Anthony Solomon got fired and then he got hired and, I mean, there were people who were calling that a graveyard job. You couldn't win in and, um, you know, people turned it down because they didn't think they could win there. And so he, he has done an absolutely incredible job. But um, look, at this point, if Mark decided to go coach somewhere else, I would all I could do is shake his hand and slap him on the back and say, thank you. I would, you know, it's we've had him for 14 years and he's done an incredible job. And I hope he's there another 14. But if he gets another opportunity, we'll you know, we'll just have to go try to find another Mark Schmidt, which will be a pretty hard thing to do. Tim Von Temps of ESPN. Anything you want to mention that uh, we didn't ask you about, Tim? Uh, I mean, not off the top of my head. No. I mean, I'm happy to talk about anything else you guys want to talk about. Can you, can you guys explain to me how the Sabres are still horrible after all this time? And there's just no sign of getting better in any way. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's possible. No, let me ask you a question. Are you are you a Sabres fan, Tim? Would you call yourself a Sabres fan? I mean, not no, not really. I mean, I (laughs) I grew up. I I mean, obviously, I grew up south of Buffalo, and uh, you know, followed those teams. But yeah, I mean, I at this point, I I I only have a cursory knowledge of uh, the NHL because, frankly, the NBA just takes too much of my time. Like like I said before, I was stunned to see. I didn't even realize that there was this only Canadian division until the other day. I went to look up the NHL playoff schedule to try to game out when the NBA playoffs, where NBA playoff games would be. I was trying to figure out when the Celtics would be playing in the playing games because of the Bruins schedule. And then I saw this like Canadian division where they're just playing games in Canada and they're then like getting dropped into the playoffs in the conference finals. Like, well, how the hell is this happening? So that, that shows you how much I've been paying attention. Other than that, I see all the tweets from you guys in Buffalo and I follow along with like what's happening with the Sabres and they're just a perennial absolute dumpster fire. And now Jack Eichel, the guy that they tanked the trade for to draft, which seemed like, I don't know, seems like a very long time ago now. I don't even know what year it was. Now he's ready to get traded out of there. So, you know, sort of like one of these terrible basketball franchises, like the, the Kings or the Wolves or one of these teams that's just bad for as long as you can remember. So everybody wow. assumes he's played his last game for the Sabres. 
it certainly seemed like it from the way he was talking the other day. I saw, I mean, it remind, like I said, it reminded me of, you know, covering NBA guys who have been in a terrible team for a long time. And they kind of politely say, you know what, I've had enough of this. I need to go somewhere else and have a chance to be on a, a winning, uh, a winning team. But it's, you know, what is there, what is there any sign of this changing anytime soon ever? Or is this going to perennially be a disaster? Yeah. Do what the Knicks did. But haven't been, hasn't that been like what they've been attempting to do for years now? Kind of, but no, I, think I think some I, of getting ownership be... out of the way and bringing in multiple levels of management like the Knicks did is maybe. Oh, the that, the that Knicks model. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I think that the Sabres right now are on their Isaiah Thomas phase. Uh, they seem to be oh. working. They just decided to, to let the former player who's never been a general manager before go ahead and. Haven't they done that three times, though? I feel like that's <laughs> happened three times. Well. well. They at least had experience in the role. Um, I see. But they need Rasmus Dahlin to pull a Julius Randle or somebody to pull a Julius Randle and, and take a big step forward so they but can. Don't have, they already have a guy that's supposed to be like that? Uh, in theory, he hasn't been. Well, now he wants to leave. Well, yeah, so I, that's, I, I, <laughs> I know. I mean, that's the thing. Like that. Like I don't. Like I said, I don't. I mean, I covered hockey for a while. I don't pretend to have nearly the knowledge of it I, I do basketball, but. Um, but yeah, it's just it's been it's been interesting from afar to kind of watch the 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 utter train wreck that it's been for just a indefinite period of time now. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I I still got more time to ask if you guys have more questions. I still have more time. But well, whatever, I have a question for Sabers fans. If anybody's listening, and wants to tweet at us, or someone wants to kind of take it on their behalf, or the NHL fans, maybe really. Should the NHL think, be looking at the NBA and thinking about doing this play-in type tournament? And for the Sabres perspective, is that – do we want that? Do the Buffalo fans want that? Or do you want to make the playoffs proper and not kind of sneak in as a 9 or 10 seed that way? I think that hockey fans, because they are so traditionalist, will reject that right away, even if they're watching the NBA. and Because that's just – that's an NBA thing. They yeah, don't like you could say NBA that about baseball thing. and it worked. It seems to have worked for baseball. Sure. But there's a reason the NHL is where it is. I mean, they're progressive. The words progressive and national hockey league doesn't are, are rarely used together. Doesn't does not does not apply. Does does not apply. As we saw with the Tom Wilson situation uh, the other uh, the other week. That was. That was a pretty interesting move by the Rangers. I don't know if I've ever seen a uh, a statement quite that uh, directly blasting the uh, the league office. I thought that was I thought that was rather uh, I thought that was rather interesting. Yeah, James Dolan. Uh, maybe he's feeling it. Maybe it's the Knicks. You know, the Knicks have him feeling a, a little bold. Well, how about that? And then firing his entire leadership group with the Rangers the same day. Like that was that was a crazy day. I remember it was that. the next day. It was the oh, next. It was the next. Day. I'm sorry. It was the next day. You're right. I remember seeing that. I remember seeing the statement come through my inbox. I still get Rangers emails from when I covered them. I haven't. I haven't got off their subscription list. And I was like, wow, that's a big statement. And then the next day, I get I get a statement in my inbox that they fired Jeff Gordon and uh, uh, John Davidson. I was like, holy cow! This is a big couple of days for Jim Dolan with the Rangers. Chris Drury uh, brought back his line mate uh, from his Sabres days. Mike Greer was added to the. I uh, saw that today. today so. I, I didn't. I, it's funny. I saw that email pop in uh, a little while ago, and I was wondering if that was the same Mike Greer. That's uh, that is that is really interesting. A lot of management experience in that family. A lot of uh, there are people who don't uh, who don't realize uh, that he is the brother of Chris Greer who is the Miami Dolphins general manager, son of Bobby Greer, former, uh, former Texans GM, right? Texans. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Bobby Greer was with the Patriots. Uh, Bobby Greer was the guy who made Bill Parcells, uh, who got Bill Parcells upset enough after a draft to make the, uh, you know, if you want me to cook the dinner, you better really? buy the groceries. That was him? Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Small world. So, yeah, so it'd be interesting. I don't know. I'm sure it's never happened before that a hockey general manager and a – well, I don't know. You can't say that because there was those days back in the 50s when sports writers were becoming general managers. You know, go Sid Hartman in in, uh, in Minneapolis or how different well, how commissioners Will Mc... of leagues have been sports well, how writers. Well, McDonough, Will McDonough's kids, one of them is running the – isn't one of them working for the uh, 
Cardinals, yeah. and then obviously, well, Ryan McDonough worked for the Suns, but didn't one of his other sons work for an NFL team also, high up in the front office? Probably. I think that's true. I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know. The I can't remember which team. one. Yeah. I think it was. I, I think, think it was Terry. All, I think Terry. I think all McDonough. the kids are in that business. Or no, one of one yeah. is a broadcaster, obviously. Yeah, Sean obviously is a great broadcaster, but um, yeah, I think Terry McDonough is his name. I think he worked for an NFL team. And obviously, Ryan McDonough ran the Suns. He was with the Celtics for a while. But yeah, no, it's. Uh, yeah, football and hockey doesn't generally cross over like that. So it'll be um they'll be very interesting. Very interesting. So Marty Herney's path too, right? Marty Herney was a Marty sports Herney writer. was the sports writer. He was the sports writer yeah. path. Yes. And then uh Ernie Accorsi, former sports writer. Two different writer. teams he's been yep. uh, a GM for. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get on that track. <laughs> I don't think we're trusted enough. Once once we've done this job, no one will allow you in their front office and tell you their secrets or work on stuff because they'll just assume that you're a rat fink that will uh, share them with your old colleagues or write a book that's, about it. That's happened a few times in the NBA in recent years. Um, John Hollinger obviously was at ESPN. He went to the Memphis Grizzlies for several years. Now he's at the Athletic with you, Tim. Um, Lee Jenkins. Went Sports Illustrated to the Clippers. Luke Wynn, uh, longtime college basketball writer, went from uh, – he actually works for the Raptors. He works for Masai. I think he's, he's somewhere in their scouting apparatus. I don't remember exactly what his job is. Um, so it's Chris happened a Snow, little bit. And former Chris hockey, hockey reporter Chris Snow uh, got jobs in the NHL. Yeah, he's, he's still an assistant GM, right? Obviously, he's mm-hmm. fighting a more important fight at the moment. But, he, um, but yeah, he's assistant GM. Yeah, so it's happened some – it's happened some in recent years in basketball, but certainly not, certainly not quite like it used to, for sure. Well, Tim, thanks for doing this. We've been here at an hour. I don't want to take up your entire day. You got games to cover tonight. Um, we have, uh, I actually, to tease, uh, have a project I'm working on with John Vogel this afternoon uh, regarding the a Sabres. Uh, well, I don't want to say too much, but I think it'll, it'll run before the weekend. It's a lot of we awesome fun. John Vogel and I did. Um, we had laughs. You could <laughs> as, probably as assume, always. You could as yeah, You could probably assume it was at the expense of people uh, and or an organization. Um, you but the uh, hottest, you'll, you'll see the, the hottest favors power rankings. Best right. favors. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim, thanks for uh, coming on and uh, and talking NBA with us. Um, it's been a lot of fun. No, man, it's always always a great time. It's great to see you guys. I look forward to whenever I can get back up to Buffalo and see you all again. And uh, yeah, give my best to Vogel too. It's been a right on. Been a long time since we were all in the news newsroom. Long time ago. You said that like it's going to happen again some point. Like it's been a long time. Since <laughs> I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't think we'll be in the. I don't think we'll be in the news newsroom. But it's been. Uh, it has been a long time since then. But, we'll uh, get in the uh, the auxiliary newsroom uh, uh, at the Swanee House. <laughs> we'll be I was in the newsroom. When they sell the building and it's some sort of condo buy that we can go and visit. The the Swanee House, the Swanee House Ox newsroom. I, I, uh, yes, I'm, I'm all for that. Whenever we can, whenever I get to Buffalo again, we'll have a, uh, we'll have a get together at the Swanee House. Get Sully involved. Be, uh, be good. All right, man. Well, thanks again and uh, enjoy the postseason. I know it gets to be a grind, but. It's uh, it's why you get into this uh, line of work. So enjoy. Oh man, it's great. No, listen, these are the easy gate, easy days. I mean, I, I got into this cause I like to watch basketball and, you know, frankly, as you know, as you guys all know, part of the, you know, one of the things about our jobs now is that the other stuff all outside of the games matters to people a lot more than the games. A lot of the time it really doesn't matter what the sport is. Um, that's certainly the case in basketball or like, you know, we spent a lot of this thing talking about, you know, Masai changing teams maybe, or players changing teams or what teams they do to get better. Um, but the playoffs are the one time when the games are the only thing that matter. And so while it'd be fun to be able to do the job like normal and be able to talk to people in person and do that kind of stuff, it's still fun to get a chance to see the best play against the best for the next couple of months. And I'm, uh, I'm fired up to see how it goes. Tim Bontemps of ESPN, of St. Bonaventure University, of the Southern Tier, Thanks again for joining us here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. Thanks for having me, man. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. 
CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.